3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Uh, so 3CR would like to acknowledge that we broadcast on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri and Burrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge the continued resilience of the First Nations peoples in the face of ongoing colonisation and settlement. We acknowledge sovereignty was never ceded and a treaty was never signed. Good morning, Grace. Good morning, Fiona. Good morning. Good morning. So what do we have on our show today? At 7.15, we have an interview with Father Chris Riley, who is the founder and CEO of Youth, Youth Off the Streets, uh, just discussing the government's response to um, the issue around young people and of South Sudanese background and the government's response to their um, recent um, allegations of crime. Mm-hmm. Cool. I mean, that's a, that's, that's a point to start off with, I suppose, um, is this whole sort of hype around um, sort of uh, African gangs. Um, so I I've just been talking to a few of my, my friends and my, me, myself, being African. Um, it's been a bit of a... How, 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 can, how, how can we put it? Like, it's been... Everyone's been a bit, like... Sort of like, hey, wait a second. Uh, most of the crime that's um, going on amongst youth, um, if if you want to, like, you know, you know, follow that sort of um, discourse, is uh, mostly. I think it's like one point something percent, one point uh, percent or something. It's a very low number, very low figure of uh, uh, South Sudanese. Um, of people who who are born in, in South Sudan who are actually committing crime, um, whereas most people who commit crime are actually uh, Australian-born. Um, so, yeah, anyway. Okay. <laughs> Everyone's just looking at me. Okay. <laughs> no, I think you raise interesting points, and I think sometimes we do that thing where we get caught up in what they're, they're saying and then have to justify that, like with those stats that you were talking about or trying to point out that, like, white Australia is the one that is committing like disproportionately the amount of um, crime and stuff in Australia but like why but then you get into questions of like what is youth crime anyway and Mm. thinking about trauma and community and participation and identity and belonging and like all those things are way more interesting conversations Mm. that we could be having but we just get caught up in the discord because they're attacking everybody all Mm. the time and trying to cause divisions and it's like it's not even dog whistling they're saying it like outright you know because that furthers their political career which is really damaging for you know young people of african descent or who are african and also the rest of australia as well yeah mm. anyway yeah and like i think on like while politicians were debating um african gang violence um i think there was a, a bit of a riot so um 
So the Guardian reported that there were more than a hundred people who rioted and threw bottles at police cars in in Turak, I think, or no, well, in Turkey. In Turkey, um, yeah, not Turak. I would be really down Strange. for some riots happening in Turak. Yeah, and that obviously, if that was a if that was a hundred, you know, people of African appearance, or you know, people uh, who weren't white, that would definitely be like. Like, you know, either a terrorist attack or, like, you know, some, um, some other thing. Anyway, what else do we have <laughs> coming on? So after that interview with Father Chris Riley, we, we're speaking to Maddie Clark, who's the curator of an exhibition called Black Magic um, at Incinerator Gallery. And it's part of Midsummer. Um, and it sounds like a really interesting exhibition. The artists are mostly queer and Indigenous, and it sounds amazing, like an amazing opportunity for those artists to speak for themselves about their experiences. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to speaking with Maddie later. And then after that, where I'll be speaking with Danny Weber, who is um, the events coordinator of Archer magazine, um, a, an award-winning publication about sexuality, gender and identity, and just speaking about highlights from um, a recent um, issue of the magazine. Mm. I'm excited about that because it's like Australian-based. Mm. And I feel like a lot of the stuff we consume around gender and sexuality and identity like it's really American focused oh. so it's really yep. nice to have that that's like made in Melbourne and absolutely you know it's really exciting oh. um, so in um, at about 8am we have uh, Bahman Yusufi oh, we'll be speaking with Bahman Yusufi who organised a solidarity march in uh, Melbourne last week um, um, in solidarity with the Iranian uprising. So since uh, December 28th, Iran has been witnessing a wave of protests in more than 80 cities. Um, so that's some interesting stuff happening in Iran at the moment. So more than 2,000 people have been arrested. Um, mm. And at 8.15, we'll be speaking to uh, New York Go, uh, who's the co-founder of the South Sudan Australia Peace Initiative, um, and this South Sudan Peace Initiative um, has been working for over six years now to facilitate healing and reconciliation amongst South Sudanese after decades of civil war. Uh, I think that's it. Yay! Start the year with a song, or many songs, at the Singers' Festival at Abbotsford Convent January 12 to 14, with Jimena Abaka, Lamine Sonko, Beat Lehman, Steve Turner and heaps more singers. Go to boite.com.au. The Boite is a 3CR supporter. The Solidarity and Defence Fund is a democratically controlled fund that materially supports activists who are facing legal sanctions or other problems due to their stand against injustice and oppression. All contributors who pledge at least $5 a month can take part in collectively making decisions about how the fund is used. Your contributions support and grow movements for social justice and defend activists in the fight for a better world. For more information or to join, go to patreon.com forward slash solidarity defense fund that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash solidarity defense fund a 3cr supporter
lest we forget, join us to commemorate the 176th anniversary of the execution of the two freedom fighters, Tanaminawai and Moabohina, at the Tanaminawai and Moabohina Monument, corner of Victoria and Franklin Street, Melbourne. Do you know the names of the first men hanged here in Melbourne town? Join us midday, Saturday the 20th of January 2018 and then walk with us to their last resting place in the Queen Victoria markets. The ceremony will be broadcast live on Community Radio 3CR, 3cr.org.au. Far from their ancestral homes down in Van Diemen's land Knew their lives would be in vain if they didn't take a stand. The social safety net in Australia is being eroded by government cutbacks to essential services and also bullying tactics, as we've seen recently with the Centrelink robo debts, for just one example. This is a public Over the Wall wants to offer you some simple tools to fight back and defend yourself against a grossly unfair and aggressive system. A system that penalises people already disadvantaged by poverty and significant health conditions. Tune in every Monday at 7.50am on Monday Brecky for Over the Wall. Bisexual Alliance is a non-profit organisation dedicated to raising awareness and supporting people who are bisexual, people who are multi-gender attracted, their partners and their families. Bisexual Alliance runs several monthly discussion groups in and outside of Melbourne to offer support, a safe space to chat about your experiences and to explore others' experience of multi-gender attraction. These groups are for bisexuals, those who are questioning and their loved ones. For more information, visit bi-alliance.org or email Info at by-alliance.org. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. You're listening to Thursday Breakfast here at 3CR. Um, the track at the top was a track by Rowena, William, uh, Rowena Wise sorry, um, called Hollow Heart. She's a Melbourne-based folk musician and up now we have we have father chris riley who is the founder and ceo of youth off the streets um, an organization that's devoted to helping young people who are experiencing homelessness alcohol and drug addiction by providing shelter support services and a range of programs Um, chris riley has worked with disadvantaged youth for 35 years and is passionate about breaking the cycle of disadvantage, abuse and neglect. 
Um, Father Chris Riley, you recently, um, firstly, welcome to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR. Uh, you recently expressed your dismay at the government's choice of language regarding um, the young offenders of South Sudanese background. How is their language unhelpful, do you think? Uh, yeah, I just think their language is pathetic, to be really honest. We're dealing with young people here. We're dealing with kids who have real needs, and I think to just cut them adrift and make them sort of... the the aggressive and all those sorts of things. I mean, there's certainly, you know, kids who are doing things that aren't appropriate, but we need to resolve those rather than judge them and, and cast them adrift. You know, a sense of belonging is the most important thing we as human beings have and these kids feel at the moment. There's, there's no sense of belonging to them. Absolutely. absolutely. Um, so um, when, you talk, when you talk about that, you know, that idea of a sense of belonging, how does that? How does that? How does that tie in with with you know human behaviour and, and and how does that diminish the 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 the, the, uh, the potential for criminal behaviour? Is it just when people are more connected to their community, they are less likely to lash out? Yeah, absolutely. One of the biggest indicators of a young person going down the violent uh, criminal way is not having a father. And what we're experiencing at the moment is a lot of young people in the communities that they're talking about don't have that link. And yet, in a very short time, in a couple of days only, we've been able to connect very clearly with those kids who are struggling or are being judged as youth gangs or African gangs or whatever. We've been able to connect with them and they cover their head in shame when anyone comes around them and they're saying to us, people don't understand what we need. Uh, and it's sort of certainly amazing. And when one of the you know, local people comes along and joins joins in our intervention, the kids uh, go right away and say, we, "You know, we're not going to deal with that. We're dealing with a young, you know, in, in one case, a volunteer came to our program, and the kids came nowhere near because that young because that person said to them, we will not mention you on the radio.'" Uh, but then went ahead and, and did that and basically judged the kids. So we're dealing with kids who are really, really sensitive, are very aware of what's happening on on, on face page and all those sort of things, who know the, know the images, they cover their heads in shame. And this is a message that says very clearly these kids aren't out of control. They're kids who feel betrayed. They're kids who are saying to us, you're the only organisation we feel safe with because you're coming from outside. You're not here to judge us and we need these issues resolved and we need these these opportunities to give us in terms of they were saying last night to our staff. You know, we, we need to express ourselves through music. We need a, a studio where we can do that. And I'm thinking, wow, we've... we've charted through this stuff already within a couple of days and on Monday uh, next week I'll be travelling back to Werribee to appoint staff from their own communities who will be working with them and it's just an amazing breakthrough that I didn't think we, were, we would have so easily these kids are, are really feeling they need someone who believes in them and trusts them. Okay just if we could just um Go back to the government's response, and um, for example, the words of Malcolm Turnbull and, and Peter Dutton. Why is it especially disappointing that they 
are using this, you know, are, use, are using such vindictive language, and how do we how do we hold them to account? <clears throat> yeah, well, uh, certainly the um, prime minister and, and the minister for, for um, you know, these sort of people. I, I've seen of when first when Malcolm Turnbull t- uh, first was elected, he asked to see me. When I walked into him, he whispered to me, you realise there's no money around. Okay, I can wear that. And then all of a sudden we have money splurging out whenever it suits his need, uh, whether it's a set aside or whether it's, uh, you know, 30, $31 million so his staff, the political staffers can travel business class. I'm keep thinking, you know, what about the kids in our areas that are being abused? In one of the communities we work in, 70% of the kids are being sexually assaulted. And this guy stands up and says, you know, we're going to keep our community safe. What's that mean, though, Malcolm? It means that when it comes to ISIS or when it comes to overseas abuse, uh, we say, we're going to be strong. But what about the 70% of kids are being abused? What about the kids in Werribee right now who feel absolutely betrayed by governments, by organisations working with young people. Uh, and I just get so cranky with these guys who say, we will keep people safe. But, yeah, not local ones, not mm. not the ones in country towns, not the ones in suburbs that are really struggling, not the ones who now worry me. He spat out almost saying, this is, a go- this is not a government response, it's a state issue. Well, you know, if you're really serious about keeping your people safe and you says that regularly, then the kids of Werribee need support. And yet he just spat out saying, that's not my responsibility. Well, well, it is. It really mm. is. Mm. Um, so you, you talk about the community consultation work that Youth of Off the Streets does. Have, has, it, has that organisation done any work with the um, South Sudanese community at all? Uh, which community is that, sorry? The South Sudanese, the South Sudanese community um, in Melbourne. Absolutely not. I mean, the media has certainly been a really, really strong issue. The kids know who is going through media. They know the Facebook. They know who is betraying them. And if anyone comes out of said like a volunteer yesterday turned up our, our outreach, the kids wouldn't come anywhere near us until she went. And that was really interesting because she'd said to them, I won't betray you, but then all of a sudden saying, these kids aren't angels and they're not this and they're not that. It's that judgment that our kids are really worried about. I just think um, it's amazing that these are young people who want intervention. They're hiding their faces. They're ashamed of what they do. They're ashamed of people judging them. And uh, we're going to be there. You know, we've been there three or four days now, but on Monday I will, we'll be appointing uh, staff from that community, from from the Werribee, uh, town of Werribee, where young people will meet their own their own people when they leave, leave uh, you know, the town. So they'll be, you know, by Monday. This will take me five days, not very long, but we're ready to go because we know already what the kids need because they're already talking, talking to us. Okay, um, Chris Riley, thank you so much for joining us on Thursday Breakfast this morning and speaking about the work that you do. Um, okay, thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye.
The social safety net in Australia is being eroded by government cutbacks to essential services and also bullying tactics, as we've seen recently with the Centrelink robo-debts, for just one example. This is a public service announcement. Over the Wall wants to offer you some simple tools to fight back and defend yourself against a grossly unfair and aggressive system. A system that penalises people already disadvantaged by poverty and significant health conditions. Tune in every Monday at 7.50am on Monday Brecky for Over the Wall. Welcome back to 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Uh, in the... Now we're going to have a chat with um, Maddie Clark, who is the guest curator at Incinerator Gallery, a wonderful gallery in Melbourne's Mooney Ponds. And Maddie Clark has put together an exhibition specifically for the Midsummer Festival. Um, the exhibition is titled Black Magic, and it runs from Saturday 20th of January to Sunday 18th of February. Black Magic will showcase works by queer, trans, gender diverse and sister girl, brother boy, indigenous artists. Maddie, welcome to Thursday Breakfast. Hello. Hello. Um, could you please tell us a little bit about the key themes of the exhibition? Um, yeah, it was it was interesting when yeah, when Incinerator approached me initially they sort of asked me for a they sort of explained they were having a um they're in partnership with Midsummer. I think they've done this before, um, in previous years. Um, and they just sort of said they wanted a, a show that they sort of um, would call like more intersectional. Um, and I sort of had to think about it and I, I wanted to sort of um, reach around to the artists that, that I sort of had um, in Melbourne, like a bit locally and think about some things that we'd been talking about. So what we ended up doing is because I think what we wanted to do was not um, to produce a show that was just about sort of having, you know, getting the artists sort of explain I guess their identities, mm-hmm. um, or just sort of talk about um, identity itself. We, we wanted to sort of talk about um, something that we, which we've been discussing a little bit more, which is about religion um, and about shame, and especially about sex and the body. So we went with that, um, and I sort of developed it in conversation with a couple of the artists. <coughs> um, and yeah, I guess we, we kind of wanted to talk about the impact of, and it, it comes out of something that I think I've, I've recently travelled to Canada and saw this amazing documentary about. Uh, the impact of Christianization in Nunavut, which is one of the northern um, Arctic states. Um, so I think that was kind of colonized as recently as sort of the 50s. Um, and I guess the way that I think the sort of deliberate introduction of Christianity to indigenous communities to break up sort of multiple marriage structures and mm. um, bisexual marriages and, you know, polyamorous communities, um, really. Um, and I guess the idea of like Christianity as a weapon, I think, is something that I really wanted to explore. Um, so that's kind of what the what the show where the show kind of grew out of is the interest in that. Uh, what do you mean is about Christianity as a weapon? So I think um, in a lot of indigenous communities in Australia and overseas, um, the use of religion to um, perform cultural genocide um, and to sort of eliminate indigenous ways of having sex and indigenous ways of relating to each other um, is the, is the kind of where I was going. Um, so, yeah, in, in Australia, like, missionaries and, uh, I guess, Missionera um, has, was the kind of site where a lot of that stuff was performed um, in a really intentional um, way. When we talk about assimilation, it's 
it was not soft. It was it was very purposeful. Um, and it, I think, as a queer person, as a trans person, like I really wanted to ex- like explore the impact of that on the on the, the body and the sexual sensibility and the sexual lives of Indigenous people, um, mm. and how that still continues today. So we we have one artist who I think um, was raised in an evangelical Christian um, Aboriginal family in person. A lot of her work explores that, for example. So I think stuff like that is like where I was really what I was really hoping to bring out in the show. Okay, sounds absolutely fascinating. Um, just like just in terms of um, the um, like uh, sexuality in Indigenous communities. So monogamy is was obviously is ob- I mean. I, uh, excuse my ignorance, but so monogamy is not a given in Indigenous communities around the world. No, absolutely not. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, and I think the more um, that that history, so the histories of sort of pre-colonial sexuality, are starting to be uncovered. I think places mm-hmm. like, um, like Nunavut again, for example, is a great example because there's so much um, recent, like li- you know, there's there's pre-colonial life is in living memory of a lot of their elders still. Um, and places like that in Australia is also exist. So I think there are still, there are a lot of emerging histories that sort of tell us, yeah, there's like there's um, bisexuality that's quite accepted. There's trans people that are quite accepted, and there's also yeah, like multiple marriages and um, I guess polyamory or forms of polygamy and stuff like that mm. um, that exist in Indigenous communities um, and have for quite some time, um, which were I think a target of concern for colonists who are sort of like, this is a, mm. um, an example of, you know, savagery that we need to sort of eliminate. And, um, an exam- you know, one of the features of sort of Aboriginal sort of life that we um, need to sort of get under control. Is that, and that's, well, that's the element of shame that, that you were discussing before? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. It, it must be like a wonderful personal journey that these artists have gone on, like when they do reconnect with their pre-colonisation cultures and um and and their indigenous like their their heritage and the the way that sexuality was um valued in it must have been a wonderful journey for the artists to kind of to discover all that and um that must have been empowering for them as well yeah i think for a lot of artists i mean again as, as queer and trans people um are looking for um you know a history that they can sort of connect to mm. um and you know, living and existing and growing up in a culture of, uh, you know, I mean, a culture of kind of shame and homophobia in Australia, um, especially for the older ones. Um, I think it can be really important for them to be making the art and to, to sort of be, you know, kind of reclaiming some of that sense of selfhood through that. Yeah. So, and humour and sarcasm is a theme that links all the artists' work. Um, it was was that just a, a coincidence, or is that is that a, a particular tool that they've used? Um, I think it, like it, it does just happen to be there, but it also is something that I, I think, really wanted to bring out in the exhibition and to really have the audience notice and be able to laugh with the artist because I think it's, yeah, it is a really important um, theme and feature of, of the artworks to kind of bring them all together. I think it's really, you know, humour for us is survival for sure, and um, it, it's important to be able to, to sort of be subversive and to be able to laugh. Um, at some of the tropes that we're talking about, so some of the yeah, some of the works are quite ironic, they're quite funny, um, they're quite cheeky, they're quite bold. Um, there's an irreverent quality to them, which I think is just really important, and I really wanted to preserve through the the commissioning process as well. Yep. Uh, what kind of mediums uh, is it, does the does the artwork take? We've got a couple of video works, um, two video works, and then 
um, one in, no, two installations, um, but one by Todd Fernando and one by Jeremy Anderson. Um, I've got a painting um, with the new work from Todd as well. He's a painter, murdery painter. Um, what have we got? Uh, I've got a sort of mixed media collage work um, from Peter Waples Co. And there's four of those. And then there is a kind of um, a self-portrait um, sort of photography and I think Photoshop type work that Diane Jones has made quite large. And I'm hoping to have that one sort of be like the entrance, um, like the first thing that people see when they come into the show. Sounds um, sounds marvellous. Sounds awesome. Um, now, there's a panel discussion coming up uh, that's on the, the second, the Saturday, the 20th of January. Um, could you just speak a little bit about that, please? So, yeah, the opening is on the 19th of January, uh, 6 to 8 p.m., but then the, yeah, the very next day in the in the exhibition space, we have a panel discussion from 2 to 3.30, um, and it's free, and we've got one of the artists, Todd Fernando, will be speaking um, alongside Mark Nanup, who... Um, he's an Indigenous man who's done quite a lot of community organising in um, Melbourne for the Indigenous like LGBT community. Um, really, really nice guy, and he's involved with the I think the Equality Project, which is the conference that's happening over the weekend. Um, he's involved in Midsummer. He's got a lot of his plate, but he does a lot of it for you know basically for free as a volunteer because he really cares about you know getting Indigenous participation in the LGBT sort of space and the political space. Um, so I've invited him to the panel. We've also got a young um, a queer writer, Lani Gasson Mills, who um, is I think she's I think she's uh, sort of up and coming. She's just won the Overland. Um, I'm going to get the name wrong. There's a residency. She's won a residency with Overland at BU. Um, she's a fantastic young writer, mm-hmm. and um, she was published in the Coloring the Rainbow anthology. So. I wanted to get a diverse bunch of perspectives, um, so not just sort of have not just sort of have it be artist talk, but bring in some other people as well. Um, and we're going to just do a bit of a discussion about, um, I guess, the writers' experiences in the LGBT community and their takes on some LGBT politics stuff as well. Um, so yeah, it's Terrific. still I think it's still not completely booked out. It's free. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're hoping to get a lot of a lot of people come along. <laughs> okay, and so listeners can. Uh, learn, uh, find out more about that on the um, Incinerator Gallery website. Uh, Midsummer website. The Midsummer website. Okay. Uh, it sounds like an amazing exhibition. I, I don't, I, I don't feel like I've come across um, this kind of exhibition before. It seems really unique and um, an opportunity for these artists to, to, to express, to speak for themselves and their experiences. So, um, thank you so much for joining us, Maddie. And um, thanks for having me. All the very best. Uh. Thank you. See you later. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for 49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. .au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now.
start the year with a song, or many songs, at the Singers' Festival at Abbotsford Convent, January 12 to 14, with Jimena Abarca, Lamine Sonko, Beat Lehman, Steve Turner and heaps more singers. Go to boite.com.au. The Blatt is a 3CR supporter. The social safety net in Australia is being eroded by government cutbacks to essential services and also bullying tactics, as we've seen recently with the Centrelink robo-debts, for just one example. This is a public Over the Wall wants to offer you some simple tools to fight back and defend yourself against a grossly unfair and aggressive system. A system that penalises people already disadvantaged by poverty and significant health conditions. Tune in every Monday at 7.50am on Monday Brekkie for Over the Wall. Lest we forget, join us to commemorate the 176th anniversary of the execution of the two freedom fighters, Tanaminawai and Moabohina, at the Tanaminawai and Moabohina Monument, corner of Victoria and Franklin Street, Melbourne. Do you know the names of the first men hanged here in Melbourne town? Join us midday, Saturday the 20th of January 2018 and then walk with us to their last resting place in the Queen Victoria markets. The ceremony will be broadcast live on community radio 3CR, 3cr.org.au. Far from their ancestral homes down in Van Diemen's land knew their lives would be in vain if they didn't take a stand. The Solidarity and Defence Fund is a democratically controlled fund that materially supports activists who are facing legal sanctions or other problems due to their stand against injustice and oppression. All contributors who pledge at least $5 a month can take part in collectively making decisions about how the fund is used. Your contributions support and grow movements for social justice and defend activists in the fight for a better world. For more information or to join, go to patreon.com forward slash solidarity defense fund. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash solidarity defense fund. A 3CR supporter. Start the year with a song, or many songs, at the Singers Festival at Abbotsford Convent, January 12 to 14, with Jimena Abarca, Lamine Sonko, Beat Lehman, Steve Turner and heaps more singers. Go to boite.com.au. The Blatt is a 3CR supporter. Okay, welcome back. So, since December 28, Iran has been witnessing a wave of protests in more than 80 cities. 
The protests have expanded to far-flung corners of the country, from Mashhad, the second largest city in Iran, to Shahin Shah near Isfahan province, to Bukhan in the northwestern region of the country. The state security forces have deployed to quell the protests and at least 21 people have been killed while more than 2,000 people, including 90 student activists and labour organisers, have been arrested. So in the studio we have Bahman Yusufi. Uh, welcome, Bahman, and thank, thank you. you for coming on. Um, so uh, uh, organized, uh, Bahman organised a uh, solidarity event last Friday in Melbourne. Um, so firstly, could you tell us a bit more about what's happening in Iran at the moment? Good morning, and thank you for having me. Yep. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, the Iranian people uprising have been taking place since December 28th, and uh, since that, the protest going on, and it's getting stronger and stronger. And uh, the first uh, uprising, which is started at the uh, Mashhad, the northeast of the Iran, and that mostly against the massive poverty and unemployment. But very quickly, the second day, day after that one, it's uh, more than 50 cities around Iran supporting the uprising in Mashhad. And after that, the whole country involved in the demonstration against the government. And it's a change from in the demonstration attitude change from the economic the subject to political and become more radical and uh, how, uh, the whole people of Iran uh, involved in this one and they uh, targeted the co-political establishment of the government and which is uh, when they uh, the first day, if they, the slogan was just, we need a bread, or we need a, a uh, work, but after that one, the, the second day or third day or fourth day, they, they targeted and they, the whole government, you know, the whole establishment, and the slogan was against the hierarchy of the government, even the spiritual le uh, leader and the president, it's not just this time only for economic or I, I want a work because people um, uh, suffering a lot uh, since 1979 which is this uh, fundamentalist uh, government and dictator government uh, you know took power and these uh, Iranian people they uh, suffering a lot of things not just a uh, unemployment. For example, that's, uh, there's a, a massive unemployment, massive, you know, the injustice against the woman. There's a lot of discrimination against the woman. That means the woman is, to the view of the government, Islamic government in Iran, they are second-class citizens in Iran. And they, you know, uh, suffering a lot in Iran. <coughs> they, which is mean, the women, they, they don't have a right. The young people, young people don't have a right at all. They can't talk. Uh, for example, hundreds of thousands of people, they graduate from the university, but there is no job for them. And they are highly educated uh, young people. And girls, girls and boys, but there is no job for them. Who should 
create the job, the government, but the government don't care at all. Just, and they are also very highly corruption in the government. They look after each other, but they don't care about the people. Iranian people, now is 80 million live in uh, Iran. Almost, if I say 40 or 50 million people are the, the workforce, they are to, in the work. But almost nearly 13 million, more than that one, is unemployed. Mm. It's massive. So uh, the people leading the protest, do you think it's um, mainly um, sort of youth, youth that have been leading the protest or who have been leading the protests? The uh, protest is, yeah, it's uh, all the people involved, but mostly young people, mostly especially students, women. Women are really highly uh, participate in this one. And I can say women are actually, they now right in front uh, front line with with everything and supporting the the, uh, counterpart men. And the young, yeah, that's uh, mostly young people, students, teachers, the uh, unemployed people, workers, and also uh, um, uh, some uh, union. But union, there is not recognized by the government. They are an official union, but the workers, they respect them. They recognize those unions because they are purely the workers' union or syndicate or anything, but the government is uh, forbidden. It's not, not uh, the union is forbidden in Iran. It's mm. is, is illegal. Mm. <clears throat> but yeah, and also uh, a, a lot of people you can see uh, in a, now, even the uh, family of the prisoners. Now family of the prisoners is the, the, in the front line as well because they are, sh- they are wanting to, there's all political prisoners they released from from jail because they are unnecessarily they are in prison. For example, if somebody asks him, "I uh, I want a pay rise, I workers or union, I want a pay rise," they straight away arrested and put in a, in a jail, and they keep them for years and years and years. And some of them, some of these unionists, they already died in prison, which is the government killed them. I how and then they say they suicide or they had a heart attack in a, pr- in a prison, which is very unusual. So, so um, and that's, I suppose, part of the figures of, the, of people who have been arrested since the protests have started in, in December, in late December. Um, so uh, I think a large majority of them were labor, labor organize, organizers, um, which is uh, back to that point. Um, so how different is... Is this protest that's happening on in Iran at the moment, how different is it from the ones that have happened you know, in the recent years and, um, I suppose, the, the big uh, revolution in 1979? Yes, uh, 90, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, it's a long time ago. <laughs> 1979 is, it's actually, uh, to my view, uh-huh. a bit um, similarity because... Uh-huh. About the government, the monarch government was an absolute dictatorship as well. We had a lot of uh, prisoners, political prisoners, a lot of you know, execution at the same time. And people, again, there was an injustice. You know, the, the, uh, at that time, an uh, absolute uh, state of 
police state that time. Still, those things going ahead. There is a police state still here, and also a lot of massive unemployment. And a lot of, but this time, one more different that the thing because they uh, there is an absolute uh, religious religious uh, and which is people they don't want really this religious you know to affect it on their life. The very fundamentalist religious view, which is government, they want to establish it, which is established. And when they want people really step by step following those one, which is a government policy, which is people, for example, against the women, against the young people, against the minority, religious minority, against this one, people, they don't want it because they want, they want an open, and democracy and democratic society in, in country, which is the government don't like this democratic society. They want, people now want um, all in harmony, they, they live together. There is no differences between the, um, uh, you know, uh, all sect of the religious or people or workers or anything. They want we all live in harmony together and also there's like a massive, uh, people in a prison. No, more than 220,000 people are in a prison with, for different view, for different reason, which is unacceptable for the Iranian people. And massive unemployment, as, as I before I mentioned, you know. But uh, yeah, this time, and also they they don't want this government because uh, highly corruption. That's uh, there's a, a lot of uh, in uh, wealth. Spending for the country, but none of them spend it. We don't have a school, as, just big towns or uh, cities, maybe they have a, a proper school. But if you go to the countryside, if you go to the township, there is no school. They, their school is a tent. Or just living in our own, they, their school, their classroom is just open air. This is a massive, one of the wealthiest countries in, in the world by oil and gas and those things and the mine. But there is no school, proper school. <coughs> there is no proper uh, medication. There is no doctor. There is no hospital. The, the road is just one of the, in Iran, one of the high, highly, uh, you know, the uh, people killing on the road. Because the road is just, is, uh, you can't imagine this uh, road for the, uh, for the 21st century. You know, that, uh, a lot of people, they uh, they suffering a lot, and the government, not listening to people. And that's why people at this time, they come in to completely change the government. Mm. And they want to, they subjecting, they targeting the core of the regime mm, to get rid of this government. Uh, yeah, so um, also you organized a solidarity event uh, in Melbourne on Friday. Um, uh, well, I, are there, firstly, are there any more events that you'll be hosting um, for for solidarity actions? Yeah. We have, um, we not decided the, uh, the date, but yeah, we um, organizing maybe for next week and the week after. And, uh, it's uh, our demonstration purely subject to support and solidarity with the Iranian uprising. But probably we have a rally, and also we may be going to the front of the Iranian consulate 
There's um, and also another event which is just abroad in Australia abroad that's um, taking place next week in Canberra, which is we're going from all of the city like Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, or any you know Brisbane. Uh, that's organized. And but if we um, in here in Melbourne, if we organize, we will announce the exact date and exact hour. And we um, asking the Australian uh, Melbourne community to support us and come in there because that's not supporting us because altogether supporting the Iranian uprising people. And we, there's a brutal dictatorship government there. These people are really, they want to uh, do something for their rightwood. Okay, thank you so much, Bahman Yusufi, for coming in today to the show to talk about um, what's happening in Iran and also uh, what we can do here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bisexual Alliance is a non-profit organisation dedicated to raising awareness and supporting people who are bisexual, people who are multi-gender attracted, their partners and their families. Bisexual Alliance runs several monthly discussion groups in and outside of Melbourne to offer support, a safe space to chat about your experiences and to explore others' experience of multi-gender attraction. These groups are for bisexuals, those who are questioning and their loved ones. For more information, visit bi-alliance.org or email info at by-alliance.org. Good morning and welcome back. Good morning. Welcome back to Thursday Breakfast on 3CR. Um, our next guest is Danny Weber. They are the events coordinator for Archer Magazine, an award-winning ma- magazine about sexuality, gender and identity, which is produced in Australia. Good morning and welcome, Danny, to 3CR. Hi there, thanks for having me. Um, so could you just tell us a little bit about when Archer Magazine first started, um, why it was established um, and who, who founded it? For sure. So it started four years ago and there have been nine issues. So there's an issue every, uh, two issues every year. And it was started by Amy Middleton. Um, she's our amazing founding editor and she's just really brought it up to be the amazing magazine it is today. Um, we have a small team of volunteers. Um, it is headed up by her. She's just about to leave on maternity leave to have a baby, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's handing off to a new, a new um, managing editor, which is, which is really exciting, Adolfo. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically it started um, because she didn't see representations of her sexuality in the media growing up, or if she did see them, um, they were often villains or ended in tragedy, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So um, Arch Magazine is a positive representation of lesser-heard voices on sex, gender, and identity. Okay, sounds sounds amazing. Um, what what kinds of pieces does it publish? Are they um, non-fiction, literary? Uh, is it like a combination of different genres? Yeah, so it started off, um, she aimed it to be journalistic, um, but it has grown to be mostly personal essays. Mm-hmm. So it's important that the topics are written about, are written by people who have that lived experience. So yeah, they, most of the articles take the form of personal essay on a certain topic that's relevant to them. Yeah. Um, so do, how do um, readers access it? Do, is it online only or is it a hard copy? And like if it is both, do most, most readers access it online or is it a balance between the hard copy and online? 
Yeah, so one of the interesting things is that it is hard copy. Um, and Amy was criti- a bit criticised or questioned about this at the start because starting it four years ago when you know print media is mm. dead or in decline. But um, it's really, um, we have a lot of pride in it being a hard copy because it's like high-quality paper, glossy mm. magazine. Seeing all these diverse representations in a hard copy is so important. Um, so the hard copy is um, stocked around Australia and in a few locations around the world as well mm-hmm. and is, um, yeah, quite well loved um, by the community. That said, we also have an online um, presence and online articles too to keep it accessible. And there's kind of similar and different audiences for both, um, but our main emphasis would be probably the print copy. Is, are your readers like of a particular age group or um, are they across across different ages? Oh, great question. Um, to be honest, I haven't seen the breakdown of those stats. I know in terms of targeting, we are open to targeting anyone who's interested in diverse representations of sex and gender identity. And my hunch um, would be that it tends to be younger people. That mm-hmm. said, we have had a specific issue around ageing and sex and we are open to anyone reading the magazine. So the current issue is, is on that topic, is it? Ageing and sex? Uh, no, that was a previous issue. This mm-hmm. current issue is actually the topic is family. Okay. Yeah, and that for, for the Archer magazine doesn't just mean nuclear family. It's such a range of what family can mean. Yeah, it's kind of um, good timing with the um, marriage equality debate. Indeed. <laughs> I'm not sure whether that was done on purpose. Okay. Um, but, and it was decided before the outcome was decided too. Uh, regardless, we have our chosen families and the concept of family is really important to all humans, I think. And also it was important to Amy given that she's about to grow her family. Yep. That, so, um, so could you just speak a, like a little bit about some of the pieces in that, in the current issue and the way that they kind of imagine family and how they define family and how it's different to our, you know, conventional understandings? Yeah, totally. So, for example, um, there's an incredible article on Aboriginal families by Mary Kagori talking about colonial understandings of family and how families such as hers and historically Indigenous families have been um, treated mm. um, and her like empowered and excited concepts about her own family and her own future. Yep. Um, there's t- topics such as like the communities we make around us, such as HIV-positive communities, um, the, the cover photos of Abby Mack and the a photo shoot about fat femmes and the communities they have created online and ways in which they uh, wish to be empowered and wish to combat fat phobia. Um, there's talk about um, disability and community, also um, transgender kids and the importance of supporting them, so that kind of concept of family too. So as you can mm-hmm. see, it covers a whole range of topics. And then topics to do with family that are a bit more um, challenging to talk about, such as infidelity, but also about like polyamory and different ideas of family. Mm-hmm. So, um, if if people want to um, contribute, like if readers ever feel inspired to to express their own story, how do they are they is that is that opportunity available to readers to do that? Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, submissions are welcome. Um, there's a um, part on the website you can actually um, access to express interest, um, and it often depends on the topic and what's been covered already and what uh, voices have been covered. Uh, in the past into the current issues. But yeah, people are welcome to express interest, at least for this or for the um, online publication as well. Okay, so if um, listeners want to know how to get a copy of the latest issue of Archer magazine and, and the print version sounds it sounds amazing. I imagine it's really lush and, and beautiful. Mm. <laughs> and, and like you say, it just 
kind of um, reinforces the power of the magazine. Um, and so where could they get a copy of it? Yeah, um, it is lush. And uh, in my opinion, it's a great coffee table book. It starts in great conversations. Um, so they can uh, grab it if they're in Melbourne, for example, at Mag Nation. So um, kind of those bigger magazine stockists. Um, probably the easiest way is to order online. Um, we can deliver um, if someone orders online. Otherwise, just checking like different, um, like if there's any queer-friendly bookshops, they usually sell, sell them to, such as Hairs and Hyenas in Melbourne. So there's a few different stockists or online is a great way to order. Awesome. So the website for Archer Magazine is just, yeah. it's just archer.com.au, is that right? Um, archermagazine.com.au, yeah. Okay, excellent. Yeah. Danny, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Oh, you're welcome. It's so great to chat about Archer and, yeah, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks a lot. See you later. Bye. Start the year with a song, or many songs, at the Singers Festival at Abbotsford Convent, January 12 to 14, with Jimena Abarca, Lamine Sonko, Beat Lehman, Steve Turner, and heaps more singers. Go to boite.com.au. The Boite is a 3CR supporter. The social safety net in Australia is being eroded by government cutbacks to essential services and also bullying tactics, as we've seen recently with the Centrelink robo-debts, for just one example. This is a public Over the Wall wants to offer you some simple tools to fight back and defend yourself against a grossly unfair and aggressive system. A system that penalises people already disadvantaged by poverty and significant health conditions. Tune in every Monday at 7.50am on Monday Brecky for Over the Wall. 3CR Breakfast would like to say thanks to program sponsor The New International Bookshop, for the financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall at 54 Victoria Street, Carlton. Lest we forget, join us to commemorate the 176th anniversary of the execution of the two freedom fighters, Tanaminawai and Morbohina, at the Tanaminawai and Morbohina Monument, corner of Victoria and Franklin Street, Melbourne. The names of the first men hanged here in Melbourne town. Join us midday, Saturday, the 25th January 2018, and then walk with us to their last resting place in the Queen Victoria markets. The ceremony will be broadcast live on community radio 3CR, 3CR.org.au. Far from their ancestral homes Down in Van Diemen's land They knew their lives would be in vain If they didn't take a stand uh, Welcome back to 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Um, so on the line now we have Nyok Gore, who's the co-founder of the South Sudan Australia Peace Initiative. Uh, welcome to the show, Nyok. 
Sorry about that. Uh, we're just trying to get Nyok back on, to, on, on the line now. Um, uh, welcome to the show, Nyok. Start the year with a song, or many songs, at the Singers' Festival at Abbotsford Convent, January 12 to 14. With Jimena Abaka, Lamine Sonko, Beat Lehman, Steve Turner and heaps more singers. Go to boite.com.au. The Boit is a 3CR supporter. So uh, I think now we've got uh, Nyokgo on the line. So Nyokgo is the co-founder of the South Sudan Australia Peace Initiative. Uh, welcome to the show, Nyok. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your radio show this morning. You're very welcome. So the front page, I've just got the front page of the Herald Sun uh, this morning, uh, which is uh, leading with a story on so-called African gangs. Um, and this discourse is not new and is often political. What do you think? First, I would uh, want to say that we, as uh, Sudanese community members, that uh, have some of our young people uh, caught up in this situation of behaviors that are uh, causing, you know, uh, concern to other uh, community members and some that have been affected. Uh, I think there is a need to be able to uh, acknowledge but it. It's also, as I stated in my letter, that it, this is, it has become a politicized uh, issue. There is a clear uh, uh, information and, and evidence from you know, law enforcement agencies, such as police, for example, that uh, clearly you know, stated repeatedly so many times that there is no gang. These are a group of loose young people that, uh, of course, like any other uh, youth from any other nationality background, they uh, have some behaviors that they are struggling with, including the community is struggling with, uh, and it should not be used as a political tool by the leaders that uh, we hope and we believe that they represent all of us, regardless of what background you know we come from. We are all Australian, and, uh, and that should be, I think, the first way. We also acknowledge the role of the media. There has been some other media that have not been very helpful in uh, in, uh, in sharing this information, and it, 
it also caused so much anxiety. Uh, sometimes some of the media outlets, they uh, really take it out of context. They want to, uh, you know, feed uh, a group that are not going to help in, in, uh, in advancing our collective responsibility as Australians. So we're dealing with these young people, not only from African background, but from other background. Uh, there has been some other reports of, you know, youth from Anglo-Australian uh, background who have also had, you know, issues with police. But these are some of the things that you know, other leaders are not, or the Prime Minister or even Peter Dutton, are not responding to. And, uh, and I think it's a, it's a collective issue. Yeah, um, and indeed, um, we were just saying uh, earlier uh, in the show that on on Thursday, while politicians were debating uh, whether you know Victorians were afraid to last Thursday, sorry, uh, whether Victorians were afraid to dine out at uh, restaurants because of African gang violence, um, there were more than a hundred uh, people who rioted and threw bottles at police cars in uh, Torquay. Torquay, I just did it again. Um, and those people, yeah. uh, obviously, the race and the race. Was wasn't mentioned because those people were all of Anglo backgrounds. So it is right. political, you know. Um, yes. And yes. also Africa is a, is a very large continent with, with many it's, different countries. Um, it so is. It's more than, you know, 50 countries. And, uh, and, uh, and this is also creating a lot of, you know, concern within the community because this is generalizing. The whole, you know, Africa as a continent uh, when... You know, some of the young people, of course, I, being from a South Sudanese background, will not deny that I have a number of young South Sudanese that are you know, involved in this unacceptable behavior. Uh, and it's a responsibility that the community, the state government, the Victoria Police and other law enforcement agencies are working collectively in trying to deal with it rather than, you know, run away from it or point fingers. At the blame, which is not a, a solution to, to all this. And I think, you know, on a personal note, uh, people, you know, like myself really uh, feel attacked by, you know, our Prime Minister, you know, his Home Affairs Minister Peter Dutton, and they have basically, you know, stereotyped, I would, I would say, myself, and that's also how are the African you know, take it. Uh, and this has caused a lot of, you know, concern and, and reaction. Uh, and, you know, the wider community of Africans feel that they are being attacked in this situation. And despite all uh, this, people have achieved so much. People have achieved, you know, a great deal in wanting to, to become like any other Australian. Uh, for instance, I have, you know, Two Australian university degrees, uh, and I, you know, work full time in a public service. Mm. Have a young family with, you know, a, and and you know, have a mortgage. This is this is a dream that any Australian, you know, is dreaming for, and this is a story that you will come across from so many uh, of our fellow Africans uh, who have come here, whether in the last. 10 years or 15 years, and sometimes, you know, people feel that, you know, I personally feel I don't belong here, uh, 
uh, sometimes you feel, you know, racial experience and uh, on a daily basis. And instead of taking the role as leaders, uh, seriously, to build a more inclusive uh, Australia, I believe that our Prime Minister and other leaders like Peter Dutton have fueled this uh, discrimination to score the political uh, points. And I think it's not very helpful. Mm. My sister and his Australian community face multiple complications. We carry the trauma of war, and we also have very different cultural practices that we are attempting to integrate and, and, uh, and pick up other cultural uh, experience or life in Australia. And that's, that's what we have taken up. We have taken up Australian citizenship. And uh, it means that we want to, you know, also, uh, you know, incorporate Australian way of life into our life. And that's, you know, one thing that we, we lack sometimes, you know, support uh, networks. And this is where some of our young people really fall off. Uh, there are lots of families that are, you know, still isolated uh, because you know, parents have come without maybe uh, a proper education background for them to be able to interact uh, quite easily. Uh, and some of our young people are involved in, in crime, there is no doubt, and that's so hard. It's hard uh, for us to deal with. And we, you know, sudden to see these young people hurting others. Uh, it, it's something that we acknowledge, and, uh, and has, it has been reported. There are positive other stories outside there, really trying to counter these uh, behaviors of young people in wanting to do what's the right thing, in getting them back on the right track. Uh, but there are young people involved in crime for many I think background has you, you know, say including, yes, Anglo-Australian-born young people. And however they uh, commit crime, ethnicity is not really an issue. It doesn't become an issue to them. It's only because of our darker skin that we are visibly different all the time. And, uh, mm. and, and that has led to a disproportionate and irresponsible media coverage. Mm. Uh, not all the media... Uh, but there are some, you know, really media outlets, uh, Channel 7, Channel 9, you know, 10 that sometimes are not very helpful. Uh, we acknowledge other channels such as ABC or uh, SBS that, you know, show uh, a balanced ground or reporting. And that, that helps in, in mm-hmm. most cases. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, you know, Turnbull and, and uh, Dutton have use this for political gain rather than taking a responsible and evidence-based approach uh, to resolve issues as, you know, agencies and the government at the state level is, is working. They should, you know, the federal government should really also help because this is an Australian issue. It's not the South Sudanese issue. It's not because all of us are really Australian. We've been uh, given the opportunity and accepted to become citizen of this country, and we are, uh, so many of us are, you know, taking up responsibility uh, as any other Australian who have come from across the world. Yes. Uh, thank you. Uh, unfortunately, that's all we have time for uh, today. Uh, thank you so much, Nyokko, for sharing uh, your point of view um, and for coming on to the show. No worries. Thank you very much for having me.
Thank you. Uh, that was Nyoka Goh, who's a co-founder of the South Sudan Australia Peace Initiative. Uh, and that's all we have on our show left. Um, yeah. um, so firstly, just before uh, uh, we go, I think it's really important to uh, address um, and to highlight uh, these sort of uh, politicised uh, discourse because I think the next category, in, in looking at the figures quickly uh, that I can't, uh, remember the exact figure, but I do remember the categories. Um, the next category um, above the South Sudanese uh, uh, crime um, uh, uh, perpetrators was New Zealand perpetrators. We never hear about uh, Kiwi uh, gang violence or Kiwi crime waves or any of that stuff. Um, so or we never think- hear about like what is the biggest correlation of crime um which isn't race, mm. it's poverty. Exactly. And like yeah. all these different reasons that are leading to whatever crime is and what yeah. is the definition of crime, mm. which is, you know, really interpersonal stuff that happens in Australia rather than looking at government, you know, crime and yeah. violence and like all this stuff and widening that conversation out. Mm. Um, thank you very much for listening to our show. Up next is Lost in Science. We'll be back next week and Friday Breakfast is on tomorrow. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.